from the half-eaten studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another underground episode of Chemical-Free Horticultural Hijinks You Bet Your Garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. The elusive meadow shrew may be as real as the Jersey Devil, but a surprising number of less fictional mammals are looking to wipe out your watercress. We'll tell you about most of them on today's show. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call event, cats and kittens. That's right, potential guests are busy comparing tracks, tunnels, and scat. So we will take that heap and help in. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and ebubulently energetic enervations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you playing a round of Match the Malicious Mammal right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden comes from Coast of Maine, creating organically approved gardening soils and plant foods for over 25 years. Part of Coast of Maine's mission is to be the most trusted partner to professionals and homeowners who believe that authentic, natural, and organic garden and lawn products play a critical role in the health of our communities and the living planet we share. Learn more at coastofmaine.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. And coming up a little bit later, we will answer one of our most frequently asked questions. Who or what is eating my garden and maybe making tunnels or runways and all this kind of stuff? So we will give a treatise, deliver a treatise, on the various mammals that will attack your landscape, which ones burrow, which ones burrow a lot, which ones only eat meat, like earthworms and cicada larvae, and which ones would like to eat your landscape to the ground. But foist a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Kristen, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. How are you today? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. Um, how's Kristen doing? Well, I'm having an exceptional day. Not only do I get to talk to you, mm -hmm. but I also got my first COVID shot today. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Um, so uh, wh where are you? I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Oh, Okay. <clears throat> Um, I guess they have, I guess they got more of the vaccine than we do in Pennsylvania. Um, I'm scheduled to go right behind mimes and felons. Um, so, uh, all right, what can we do you for? Well, Mike, I'm hoping you can give me some um, best practices for strawberries. Uh, I have a toddler who would love to eat his weight in, in fruit, but particularly berries every day. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to not I want to do my best to not kill the bare rooted strawberry plants that I have already ordered from mm -hmm. from Burpee. Uh, mm -hmm. So they'll they'll be magically appearing on my doorstep at, at some point. Right. Um, well, with any bare root plant, the first thing you want to do is soak the roots in just plain clear water. For you know strawberries, I mean the roots are pretty small, so just like. Just like an hour, just let the roots uh, soak up some water because they're dehydrated from being in storage and shipping. Now, are you planning to use raised beds or 
containers? How are you going to do this? Well, I do have a number of raised beds. Um, I also ordered something um, from Amazon called Mr. Stacky, which, <laughs> which sounds delightful. Um, and that's a, a sort of container. It has five levels that uh -huh. you can stack one on top of the other. Right. And, uh, and each level has um, sort of a, it's got four bulbous arms, you know, so it, you could have four plants per level and then you'd have 20 plants total, I suppose. But I, um, I, have I haven't to get, seen this thing in person yet. I'm not really. <laughs> I have to get our video editor, Jake. I just have to tell him now, you got to get a picture of Mr. Stacky to put on the show. And, <laughs> and you've ruined me for the day because I can't get the Mr. Softy theme song out of my head now. And I keep, oh. da, 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 da. my name is Mr. Stacky. <laughs> So, oh dear. Well, well, when I ordered it, it was um, Mr. Stacky and the potato bags. So oh, not only okay. do I have some delightful gardening things coming, but I have a you know a potential name for a band. That's I right. <laughs> oh, Mr. Stacky and the Spuds. So uh, this is one of those <laughs> fabric pots, right? That you're talking about with the potatoes. Well, for the potatoes, yeah. Mr. Stacky is plastic. Right. Right. Uh, I've always heard that about him. I didn't make a judgment. Uh, the, the potato, uh, the, these grow bags work great for potatoes. I'll tell you that right now. I grow some of my potatoes in grow bags. Oh, excellent. And that works out great. I'm very excited. The, uh, the ground is too hard here. so. Okay, no, that's the perfect, one of the perfect answers for potatoes because they're one of my favorite crops to eat a potato fresh out of the ground. There's, there's nothing like it. Ooh. Now, uh, did you were you planning to put Mr. Stacky on a garden bed or on a, a porch or a deck or something? Uh, I had not gotten that far in my planning, to be honest. <laughs> I um, I've just been kind of trying to to puzzle out where I might put these these strawberries and was trying to have a few options. I um, in my in my email I had sent you, I had included a, a clip from Facebook, there some folks are using these tall laundry baskets that then have holes going the entire height of the laundry basket right? Um, and supposedly growing strawberries in that. But I, I thought I might have a better bet with Mr. Stacky. I was just worried about even watering, trying it that way. So uh, I, I do yeah. have a number of raised beds as well. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know, how old's the kid? But space is always at a premium. How oh, old? he's one and a half. He's one and a half. Um, I grow what are called alpine strawberries, little flavor bombs. And I grow all of mm. them out in the front of my house in various containers so that when you go out, you just you pick them, you eat them. And if you have a, a place in the front, for instance, that gets good sun, that's where I would put Mr. Stacky. And you're right, you're going to have to keep an eye on the watering because there, there won't be as much soil in there as there is in the ground. So it might dry out, but you also might get rain. Who knows? Although you don't get a lot of rain in Tennessee mm. in the summertime. It's hit or miss. Sometimes we get a, just a, a deluge and you start you know, going out looking for gopher wood, trying to build an ark. And then the, <laughs> yeah. the other times you think you're, you're moving to the desert. Yeah, well, let's put it this way. Historically, you don't get a lot of water in the summertime. <laughs> Having it close to the house makes it easier to water. You can keep an eye on it. Mm -hmm. um, birds may become interested 
but they also may not. They don't mm. go after my alpine strawberries. But keep an eye out, because if that does happen, then you're going to have to put bird netting on a support over top to protect your strawberries. What I always worry about with fruits like that that are close to the ground is slugs. So again, pray for a dry mm. summer, but you can also buy strips of <laughs> copper um, at any home store. Uh, copper flashing, uh, the stuff that goes around uh, the chimneys and stuff on the top of the house. Um, if you wrap that around yeah. the base of Mr. Stacky, slugs won't be able to get up on it. Uh, slugs uh, get electrocuted when they touch copper, which is very oh. exciting. Yeah. Shocking. And um, otherwise, I don't, you, you talk about you, you have a lack of room and you have uh, hard soil. I, you know, in the future, mm -hmm. I, would, I would seriously consider putting some raspberries out there because that's the, oh, that is okay. the ultimate thing. My two children loved going out and picking raspberries in the garden. One day my wife went, where are all the throw rugs? Where are all the rugs that we keep on around the doors to keep the, the house clean? And I go outside and all of the throw rugs have been laid down so they're in this little, little sultan's tent that they've made out of a, a, a hole in the strawberry patch, so to speak. And they're just sitting there and oh, reaching up and picking and eating. <laughs> yeah, raspberries are tremendous fun for kids. And they don't mind um, inhospitable play content? Oh, no, no. Uh, raspberries uh, are, are to be planted in your poorest soil. They thrive in bad oh, soil. Well, hey, I've got that. No added nutrition. So uh, look oh, around. Maybe, maybe one of your neighbors is growing raspberries because they send up new shoots in the spring. And we always like to give them oh. away to people who want to start. Otherwise, you order those bare root as well. Okay, fabulous. All right. Yeah, that sounds great. I think um, Berry Boy will be very pleased if I can keep his, <laughs> keep his strawberries from dying. We've um, we've got one year old blueberry bushes mm -hmm. in, and so I'm, I'm hoping we'll we'll get some tasty treats from them as well. And just make sure to keep the pH Fingers of that crossed. soil very low for the uh, blueberries. I have a, a giant bag of peat moss. Okay, yeah. good. All right. Well, yeah. uh, uh, children especially they love those small fruits, so you can't do better. So uh, mm. good luck to you, and just keep the uh, the strawberry tower well watered. I will do it. Thank you so much, Mike. All right. My pleasure. You take care. You too. 888-492-9444. Wilson, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi. How are you doing, Mike? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking, Wilson. <laughs> how are you? Ducky's always glad to make a new friend. You know, <laughs> Go ahead. I'm, I'm doing great. Just uh, digging out from a huge snowstorm here in northern Colorado. Oh, yeah. You guys got hammered. Yeah, we did over the weekend. There's, you know, 15 inches of snow here and some towns around us got like two, three feet. Yeah, well, uh, we got uh, our first real snowstorm in like a decade and it was uh, two or three feet at my house. So... Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a lot all over the northern part of the country. Yeah, whoop-de-doo for my Subaru. <laughs> all right. <laughs> exactly. What can we do for you, Will? So I do have this problem. Right before the storm, I saw that all of my 
spring bulbs were coming up mm-hmm. in a little like 10 by 10 perennial border. Mm-hmm. And I was really wondering if they needed protection in such a heavy, wet snow event. Well, you'll find out now, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. And so I did, I did experimentally kind of go out and make little tiny sort of TP structures over them and put extra leaf mulch on top of them mm-hmm. in hopes of protecting them. And I'm just not sure if it's going to work or, you know, none of, none of the bulbs were flowering yet, but they were all coming up right. and getting ready to bud open. Right. So you decided to make a um, theme park for mice, you know, they'll go and stand <laughs> You know, the TPs. Yeah, it's it's maybe not the best decision I could have made. I was kind of doing an experiment. I used those five-gallon nursery pots that I referenced in my email, kind of put some little covering over them, and then I left a few uncovered to see what may be the best thing. Okay, I like that idea. Um, I like the idea of the five-gallon buckets. It's probably the only decent use for them. And I yeah. like I like the idea that you have a control group. Um, now, did you plant these fresh in the fall, or have they been there for a while? Um, some of them are a few years old, I would assume, but I planted most of them fresh in the fall. Okay. Do you remember the planting date? Uh, it was, you know, just after Thanksgiving, I think. Oh, well, you did not rush at all. Um, generally, when we have premature uh, bulb sprouting, it's because people planted them like back in August or September. But um, no, I, I, good. I've listened to you for, for a while now and mm-hmm. I follow, try to follow the advice. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I think you did great and I think they're all going to be fine. Where, okay. um, where these bulbs are native to in the godforsaken mountains of Afghanistan and Turkey. Um, it is snow covered mm-hmm. all winter long. Then there's this brief warm yep. up where everything comes up and then it turns hot and dry and dusty and they go back underground to hide for another year. Plus, I just got the snow to melt on my glory of snow and snowdrops, which are the earliest spring mm-hmm. bulbs to bloom. And also, it, at least in their appearance, seem to be the most delicate but they came up great. My crocus, which was covered by plowed snow, is up and oh. happy. Yeah. So I, I think, if anything, a cold winter is good for them, especially a cold winter with snow cover. Uh, the important See, and that, that was my instinct. <laughs> yeah. The important thing is, is if you or anyone else listening has spring bulbs uh, that are still covered by leaf litter, because here in Pennsylvania, we got hit by winter super early and didn't have time to clean up all of our leaves, it's important to gently rake that leaf litter off so the bulbs can emerge without any kind of problem. Yeah, and I definitely, I definitely did that, you know. I was just, and as I said in my email, this is such a strange climate here where it'll be 60, 65 degrees for mm-hmm. two weeks straight, and then, you know, everything thinks it's spring, and boom, snow cover. So you said northern Colorado? Uh, yes, sir, but on the on the front range, not up in the mountains. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, well, you're near Denver then, right? Yeah, I'm about an hour north of Denver. Okay. 
All right. No, you should be fine. And I would not be afraid of lifting the buckets at any point now. Okay. I'll probably do that this afternoon. Yeah. And uh, when everything is in is in bloom, send us uh, a couple of pictures and ask me if I can tell which ones were covered and which ones weren't. <laughs> All right. I will mark them out and I'll see. All right. I'll definitely do that. Excellent. All right. You take care, man. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce my first public appearance of the season. Well, a virtual appearance anyway. It will be at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, April 6th for the Tradiferin Public Library. That's Tradiferin with two Fs. The talk is free, but you have to register in advance to watch me wax poetic about tomatoes, spring peas, tomatoes, raised bed building, tomatoes, composting, and of course, tomatoes. But don't go making marks on your calendar just yet because we'll be right back with more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in, where else? Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up a little later, it's one of our most frequently asked questions. What is eating my garden? So we're going to tell you which mammals are out there trying to devour your harvest before you can. Which ones burrow? Which ones run across the ground? Which ones only eat meat, like earthworms and cicada larvae? and which ones would love to eat your entire landscape down to the ground. But first, more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Dorothy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Been a big fan for many, many years. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to have you here. Um, where are you? Mm-hmm. Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Okay, just outside of Philadelphia. What can we do for Dorothy in Doylestown? Well, I um, have always been a gardener, I, but I no longer have a garden. I have moved, and I'm in an apartment. So mm-hmm. uh, I do a lot of cooking, especially during the pandemic, and buying a lot of herbs. And I found that I use what I need, and I kind of try to preserve them as best I can, but I end up throwing them out. Mm-hmm. So I decided to get a... Um, uh, a, uh, a garden, a, um, what am I calling it now? A, an herb garden, you know, the hydroponic one. Oh, that okay. I can grow indoors. Right. Yeah. And my only concern is when I look, I mean, they do have the non-GMO uh, seeds. 
Right. But there's also a nutrient that you have to add to the water. Right. And I'm just concerned, is it safe? Well, first, I want to um, assure everybody out there that as of today, there are no genetically altered seeds available to home gardeners. Those are just for use by professionals who have to sign complicated forms and everything like that. So I know it's nice when all the companies put no GMOs on the, um, on, on, on the packages and the labels and everything like that, but that's like saying our orange juice is arsenic-free, kind of imp <laughs> implying that the other, <laughs> the other brand isn't. Um, so you already bought this hydroponic garden. I did buy it. Yes, I did. Okay. Because had we spoken before you bought it, I would have said, um, really, there's no reason to do hydroponics. If you've got the room for this little fixture, um, you can just put your plants in good potting soil and compost and keep them under the light and, um, you know, water them when it's needed and, and pick them. And you don't have to go into these things of nutrient solutions. Now, I do, in, at least when I've spoken about this in the past, one of the things I've um, said I don't like about hydroponics, well, first of all, it's unnatural. And second, the last time I checked into this, you really had to use a chemical nutrient not to, you know, foul up the water with, uh, with living stuff maybe that has changed. Now, how big a light do you have over this thing? The whole thing is about 10 and 10 and a half inches mm -hmm. long. So it's about 10 inches, I'm going to say, and about four inches wide. Oh, is this one of those arrow gardens? Yes, it is. Uh -huh. Yeah. It's my understanding that the miracle Grow company bought that product line. So they're not. They did. Yeah, they they're did. they're not going to help you on the solution there. Um, and are you really short on space? Yes, I am. Okay. And I don't have a lot of sun in the windows or anything, so you know. Oh no, no. The secret to indoor herb gardening, you know, unless you have a big, beautiful south-facing window or you know a bow uh -huh. window that knocks out to the to the outside world. Um, now I have never used one of these things. So you get little pods, right? And yes. and you mm -hmm. put the seeds in the pods. And then it all sits Well, these come with the they come with the seeds. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. They come with the seeds, yeah. And um uh, what um and it all sits in water. Yes. And do you have to refill the water by hand? I imagine you do, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. You have to clean it out and then, you know, add new water. I would, um, I would go online and I would find a group of hydroponic enthusiasts because I suspect mm -hmm. that there is a substitute for the nutrient solution. Um, and you don't have one of these giant setups, so... I would actually, I would try to substitute compost tea or worm tea made from worm castings. Like you would, you would get a high quality compost and fill a sock with it and then put that in a gallon of water and 24 hours later you would quote harvest uh, the water and use that mm -hmm. instead of adding any kind of thing, just 
have the whole water thing um, be worm tea or compost tea. And you know, we'll find out. You'll you'll learn stuff that could help me um, in understanding this better. Okay. But if you want to expand or you want to give it away and try something else, um, just a two-tube shop light and regular pots in, inside. You can even use clay pots, and you know, good quality uh, potting soil, especially now with the huge improvements in LED lighting, it is easier and easier for more people to grow fresh herbs indoors in not too big a space. Uh -huh. Interesting. Yeah, I mentioned on the show uh, recently that I had bought uh, these deformable, what a terrible name, LEDs. Um, they were being <laughs> shown on TV as like super intense uh, shop lights and garage lights. So I am experimenting with them now um, for seed starting, and they take up no room, and you can really uh, tailor the setup to the best spot in your house for it because they give off so many lumens, and they're very inexpensive. You could even, you know, maybe if you got one other spot, you could have that little indoor herb garden, and you can, instead of individual pots, maybe you get a small window box, if you know what I mean. Um, or one of those yes, small yes. rectangular planters, fill that with potting soil, you know, you can really go to town. That is so interesting. I didn't even think of doing that because uh, of the fact that I didn't, I didn't think of putting, the, you know, the lights over um, plants with, with soil. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Oh, I mean, interesting. Yeah. my old line when I was the editor of Organic Gardening Magazine was there's nothing about hydroponics that couldn't be cured with a little dirt. <laughs> That's interesting. That's very funny. Well, you know, I think what I may try, Mike, is I may try getting um, like a small window box kind of thing mm -hmm. and set it up with a light and yeah. see how either one of them does. And I'll see how my my uh, hydroponic does and um, compared to the other. It'll be interesting. You're going to run yeah. citizen science for us. I can't wait to hear back from you. I am, and I'll call you back. Okay, very good. <laughs> Let you know how I make out. That's it. Okay, well, thank you, Mike. Don, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thank you. Good morning or afternoon, whichever it is where you are. Yeah, exactly. Who knows? If we were overseas, it might not even be the same day. Where are you, Don? I'm in Logan County, Oklahoma, which is between Guthrie and Edmond. Oh, North okay. Of Oklahoma City. Right, right, right. And I think we're on the air in Edmond, outside of our airing in Oklahoma City. But um, the listeners uh, down there are just great. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. So what can we do for Don in Oklahoma? Well, actually, it's the living room is the problem. That's where we've got a pepper plant in a pot mm -hmm. that is infected with fungus gnats. Ah, just one pepper plant? No, it was. It started when we transplanted um, the pepper plant into a large pot, mm -hmm. seventeen inch diameter, with potting soil. Right. Um, now we suspect the gnats came from the bag of potting soil, <clears throat> and they have. There's now, I guess, every plant in the house is infected, which is 
another eight pepper plants, a dozen tomato plants, and some house plants. Okay, the tomato plants, I'm assuming, are tiny little starts. Yeah, they're about six inches tall now. Okay. All right, so have you tried anything yet? So we tried spreading um, mosquito bits, the BT. BTI. Over the surface of the soil and watering it in. Mm -hmm. We did that twice, probably over a period of a month or two, and the fungus gnats seemed to enjoy it. Okay. Um, so then we read up on the Internet and searched, and we found beneficial nematodes, the oh, okay. Steiner Nema Feltei. Okay. Uh, that's how you pronounce it. Um, and we just finished the second treatment of that at seven days apart. Right. And it seems to have reduced them, Good. but not eliminated them. Okay. So my question initially was, can I combine the two treatments? Would the BT hurt the nematodes? No. No, they are a separate species. Uh, the BTI only works on members of the fly family, like true flies, mosquitoes, and fungus gnats. Um, beneficial nematodes are a whole other type of organism, so you can you can double up. Right. So, um, what's the weather like in the Oklahoma City and Edmond area for the next week, say? Well, it's in the 70s now, but it's going to be dropping into the 60s. Lows in two days, I think, is going to be 39 degrees. Okay. All right. Um, so, if you are Sunny and windy. Yeah, I know. I Believe me, I've been there enough to know about your wind. It rips your face off. Um, so if, if you get a nice, bright, sunny day and you're in the mood to do this, I would take as many of the plants outside as you can and spray the aphids or the fungus gnats off with sharp streams of water. Because, you know, during, during one phase, they are you know, sucking your leaves and everything. So, and then bring them back inside. Um, uh, do you, uh, probably what I use the most when this happens, and it's always going to happen, by the way, the, uh, the fungus gnats or other flying little annoyances might not have come from the potting soil. You know, they exist outside. They are ubiquitous. They're almost everywhere. And a lot of times they'll come in... Um, on groceries like bananas. Sometimes they'll just fly into the house. And then once they get inside, they're very good at reproduction, as you know. And the cycle of reproduction, for people who don't know what we're talking about, is you have little gnat-like things flying around. They lay their eggs in the soil of house plants. The eggs hatch into these little turtle wormy things. And they pupate down there, and then they emerge as uh, more flying gnats. So that's what the BTI is supposed to do. If you keep the soil moist, which is the opposite of what you're supposed to do to get them rid of anything else, um, then the BTI will dissolve. And if it is consumed by any of these little wormy guys, they should die. And the same thing with the predatory beneficial nematodes. They should go after these things like mad. Um, so anyway, you'll never know where they came from, and it happens to everybody. So have you tried 
a layer of sand on top of the soil? No, we've not. Um, so what I'm going to recommend, especially if you can't, because they're not aphids, maybe we shouldn't take them outside and spray them off with water. Uh, but what I would like you to do is do another run of BTI, but instead of just sprinkling it on top of the soil, cover it with a little bit of compost or topsoil, and then water it in until water comes out the bottom of, of the planter. Um, again, this is the opposite. For people who just want to try to get rid of them without going to any trouble, the idea is to starve the plant of water because the larvae of the fungus gnats can't survive in a dry environment. So after you do these things, maybe you want to go on the dry side. But then I would drop in more of these beneficial nematodes, again, to make sure they get down into the subsoil, cover them over with a little bit of compost or topsoil. And then when you're done that, go out and get play sand, just normal sand, everyday sand, not sharp sand or anything fancy like that, and cover the topsoil or cover the uh, potsoil with an inch of sand. So now we're destroying as many of the creatures underground as we can, but then the ones that survive generally can't make it through that layer of sand and the adults can't get through the sand on the top to breed again. So that layer of sand is probably the only thing you need. And then, I don't know what your experience is, but once you take the plants outside, um, those fungus gnats will be eaten by everything in the area that eats insects. Okay, so to recap again then, <clears throat> at this point, what I need to do, put BTI in, water it, put compost on top, water until water's running out the bottom. Right, because you want to make sure that BTI dissolves. keep it moist. Yeah. Right. Would it help to grind up those granules and try to dissolve them in the water before we water them? Yes. Yeah, I think that would be a good idea. Okay. You know, because mostly they're meant to be thrown outside into areas of standing water to combat mosquitoes. Right. But in this use, yeah, grind them up. It's not going to hurt them. And you should be good. Oh, and I forgot to mention, okay. hang flypaper, old-fashioned flypaper around the plants. You'll be amazed at how many of the adults uh, fall for that. Oh, yes. We've, we've been using their little glue traps. They're green instead of yellow, but um, they just get filled. Yep. Okay. Well, you know, all hands on deck when this breaks out. All right. So keep at it and be diligent and good luck this coming season. Thank you very much. We will do what you suggested. All right. Good luck to you, sir. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and once again invite all of you to participate in my first Zoom appearance of the season. Unless there's too many of you for Zoom, then we'll dash on over to YouTube. Either way, it all happens at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, April 6th, through the good graces of the Tradiferin Public Library. Intendance is free, but you have to register in advance. Remember, that's Tradiferin with two Fs. But don't go saving the date just yet, because we'll be right back with a marauding menagerie of many mammals and more of your mammalian phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week where we tell you about every small mammal that may or may not be tunneling into your garden and or eating your garden produce and which ones tunnel but eat meat, and which ones don't tunnel but they eat meat or they eat, yeah, we'll tell you all about it in the question of the week. In the meantime, call us, 888-492-9444. Ryan, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Oh, hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, Ryan. How you doing? I'm doing great today. How are you? I'm just ducky. Thanks for asking. Ducky is becoming more of a star than me, although that's not a hard bar to reach. Um, where are you? I am calling from Easton, PA. Oh, okay. Um, a real up-and-coming area with the oldest farmer's market continuously operating in America. They had their 200... Yeah, that's great. They had their, I spoke at their 250th anniversary um, and this was like five years or six years ago. So, um, and it's a great farmer's market. All right. What oh, it's great. Yeah. I mean, I'd say they have the winter market right now, but I mean, in a, what, a month we'll have the full market. It's, it's, a, it's the place to be for sure. It really is. Um, all right. What can we do you for? All right, Mike. So I was actually calling about garden bed placement. So my husband and I moved in this house. Like about a year ago. So this is our first season to have a garden. And we moved in. There's some old beds in the back lot, but it's railroad ties and it's kind of full of a lot of junk and weeds. So mm-hmm. we knew we were going to abandon that. And since we were starting fresh, we got to talking about where we should put the new raised beds. Mm-hmm. And we have a south-facing backyard that gets a ton of sun um, mm-hmm. all year, but of course, especially in the summer. And the only shade we get is from our neighbor's trees on the east side. Right. And we were talking about where to put these these beds, and we just weren't sure if it would make sense to put them either in the full sunny spot or by the trees where it gets some morning shade because in the summer that full sun feels so oppressive. Um, so we were just wondering what you would think, which you would recommend, like morning, some morning shade or full sun. Well, most of it should be full sun, um, because let's let's face it, Easton is is not Phoenix in the summertime, and uh, many of us struggle with slightly too little sun. Um, if they're planted in good soil and kept well watered, 
uh, tomatoes, peppers, all, all the major crops of summer can really handle it. If you find that they're starting to get scalded or anything like that, mm -hmm. when, when you create these raised beds, you may want to put circular frames over the top so you could shield the crops uh, late in the day if we have uh, that kind of a summer. You know, you can buy professionally made shade cloth or you could just put some old uh, window curtains or, you know, things like that up over there to protect them in the afternoon. But I would say to put a raised bed that gets that morning shade, use that for growing cool okay. season crops. You know, oh, lettuce, okay. spinach, uh, broccoli, um, beets, carrots, um, things that really don't want full sun or high heat. For instance, um, that would give you probably a couple extra weeks of lettuce harvesting before it got so hot that the lettuce would bolt and start to taste bad. So, um, you know, play your aces. Uh, put one bed there and use that to extend cool season crops. And don't be afraid of the full sun. But if you can make these hoops over top of your okay. raised beds as you're building them, um, you can both protect your plants from a really hot summer and as the seasons change, then you can cover that with a remay or, um, you know, another similar brand of row cover. And you could move a lot of cool season crops into those. Now we're protecting them from and the cold. the season into the fall. Oh, oh into, okay. the, into the winter even. Oh, wow. And it's so much easier when you got the hoops up already. Okay. Because I know in the past you've recommended to some listeners uh, beach umbrellas for tomato plants and peppers and stuff when it gets really hot, but that's only a little bit of shade in the summer, right? If, we, if we're starting from ground zero anyway, why not try the hoops? Yeah, yeah, because the shade cloth okay. is um, widely available, as are the fabric row covers. And then, like I said, you'd be ready to protect in summer and in winter. Wow. All right. Well, we better get started. Yep, that's it. <laughs> I'll see you at the got, market. I've got seeds started, but nowhere to go with them. All right. Well, good luck to you. All right. Thanks so much. As inevitable as the rising sun, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling moles, voles, shrews, woodchucks. What is eating my garden? Susan Wiseagle in Wrangell, Alaska, which is up near the top of the beautiful Inside Passage, writes, in episode number 123, a caller had problems with animals getting into her garden and eating her collards. You suggested, quote, meadow shrews as the villain, which don't exist. There is no such creature of this name. And shrews are insect eaters. They're related to moles, but they do not burrow. One of the many species of voles, however, are called meadow voles, which are vegetarians. To which I can only reply, busted! Over many decades of making mistakes like this, I've talked about voles a lot. And I seem to remember hearing some bum on the street call them meadow shrews which, as you correctly state, are a non-existent mammal, although shrews do abound in meadows. 
Yes, I'm grasping for straws now, cats and kittens. And I was mentally distracted by the meadow vole, which is a real thing. Waiter, more straws over here, just no plastic ones. So my real answer is, what are voles? Well, they're vegetarians and really good at getting into gardens. But I wouldn't rule out mice either, or heck, even rabbits if the garden isn't fenced. But if the culprit is also digging holes or tunnels, I'm just gonna go home early today, okay guys? Carol in Sudbury, Massachusetts writes, I've had this rose bush for years. It was still blooming in October when the frost came. I just noticed that it had fallen over. And when I picked it up, it had no roots at all and bite marks on the stem. Was it moles, voles, or something else? Never had anything like this happen to me before. Well, that's what all the girls in Sudbury say, Carol. Anyway, this would certainly seem to also be the work of voles, who are famous for chewing bark and eating the roots of plants like hostas and roses and devouring spring bulbs like tulips. Moles, as we often like to remind people, are carnivores, dining on beetle grubs, earthworms, and cicada larvae, which will be abundant in this emergence year of Brood X. Moles don't eat plants, but they can make a mess of your lawn while tunneling for food. They're also really creepy looking. We move on to Brendan, who writes, hello, Mike and Ducky. As the snow melts here in Lidditz, PA, which is in Lancaster County, a weird pattern was revealed in a large area of grass in my yard. This serpentine pattern of dead grass made me think of moles. But the pattern is flat, no raised tunnels. Could this still be tunnels that were collapsed made by moles? How best to deter these critters? Well. Guess what, cats and kittens? It is vole time again. All that snow kept them safely hidden from predators while they wandered around your yard. These trails in lawns are a sure sign of the voracious vole. Now, in warmer times, the trails are just highways of flattened grass, but in wintertime, they munch as they meander. One defense is to apply a castor oil product specifically designed to repel moles and voles. Even better would be a raptor perch, a crossbeam on a sturdy pole mounted about six feet off the ground. Now that they have no snow cover, your voles are easy prey for owls, the major predator of voles. The owls will perch there every evening the mostly nocturnal voles will come out to play, and before you know it, the ground underneath will be mulched with owl pellets. And finally, Cindy in Salina, Kansas writes, something has burrowed under my hoop house frame and taken up residence there, dining on my spinach. I've read your articles on moles and voles, and I don't think it's either one of those. There are two holes inside the hoop house, and they are so huge, my hoary, hoary knife can disappear down there. So could a baseball. And I have seen groundhogs about half a mile away from here. Could it be one of them? 
Well, I am always thrilled beyond belief when listeners supply the answers to their own questions. It's kind of like a game of Jeopardy where nobody ever loses. And I am darn glad that Cindy spotted that woodchuck because Kansas may be the burrowing mammal capital of the world. So pay close attention now, cats and kittens, because we're going to go into this fast. I found a fabulous resource published by the Great Plains Nature Center called A Pocket Guide to Kansas Mammals. Well, you better have darn big pockets because these are just a few in the burrowing category. The least shrew, the eastern mole, and the nine-banded armadillo, which are all carnivores that burrow. The eastern cottontail, a plant eater that does not burrow, but often takes over existing ones that have been abandoned. The black-tailed jackrabbit, plant eater, does not burrow, but can jump six feet high over a fence that's 20 feet away. The eastern chipmunk burrows, but doesn't eat a lot of leafy greens. The woodchuck, groundhog to the rest of the world, extreme plant eater that builds endless big tunnels. The 13-lined ground squirrel, which burrows and eats anything. The black-tailed prairie dog, which is a plant eater, creates massive underground tunnel complexes. The plains pocket gopher, which is a plant eater and complex builder of underground tunnels. The hispid pocket mouse and Ord's kangaroo rat, both plant eaters, both burrowers. The northern grasshopper mouse, which burrows but mostly eats meat. And finally, the prairie vole. As we said, it's a plant eater, and this species can make tunnels. Thank you, Cindy, for spotting that groundhog. Well, that sure was an amazing amount of information about marauding mammals, now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website with a link this week to that fine resource guide I stole most of the information from. To read it all over at your leisure or your leisure, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer's threatening to introduce me to armadillos if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at our brand new number, which is still working. 888-492-9444. Or send us your email. Send us your emus. That's it. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched emus teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location and the location of your emus. You'll find all of this contact information and details on my upcoming virtual public appearance on Tuesday, April 6th at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to hundreds of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, aye, and our internationally renowned podcast. 
You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when he fell asleep right before the most intense meteor shower of all time and woke up only to spend the rest of his life battling marauding triffids. You could look it up, kids. Ken Queter plays our theme music. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our sound engineer is Long Island's finest child, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Please check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Tavia Minnick is our peerless princess of profound production. The always lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of direction is the harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Andy Cummins continues to take our temperature at the door. A hybrid of human and triffid interaction, Zach the Takwisneski is in the house, ably assisted by the usual gang of idiots, including Eric Warner, Jacob Morris, Jeff Friedrich, and many more too expensive to mention. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Despite using obviously fake cardboard cutouts of himself during our hourly Zoom meetings, our beloved CEO, Tim Fallon, has only actually been seen on the sides of milk cartons and on various Greek islands. Hmm, I think I'll fuel up the bat plane to see what shenanigans he's up to. I'll wear a cowl, but I want you to continue to wear a mask, wash your hands, socially distance, and just say generally safe so I can see you again next week. Support for You Bet Your Garden comes from Coast of Maine, creating organically approved gardening soils and plant foods for over 25 years. Part of Coast of Maine's mission is to be the most trusted partner to professionals and homeowners who believe that authentic, natural, and organic garden and lawn products play a critical role in the health of our communities and the living planet we share. Learn more at coastofmaine.com. Have your evergreens been bugged by bagworms? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll help you distinguish between a pine cone and a cleverly disguised recreational vehicle for hungry, hungry caterpillars. Plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden. <laughs>